Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is the Other Life Podcast, where I talk with indie creators, digital hustlers, and unique internet personalities about how to escape from institutional conformity and succeed on the internet instead. To learn more about the Other Life Project, go to otherlife.co. That's otherlife.co. And if you like what I'm doing, I just have one quick favor to ask. Please go and just leave a review in iTunes. It really helps others find the show, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and a big shout out, especially to my patrons. I could not do this without you all. So thanks. And now, on to the show. Hey, Trader Jacob, is that my name now? <laughs> For the moment. It, it, does, um, it does my heart glad to see everybody coming to the defense of the little guy. Oh, it's awesome. It's like, it's so, it's so exciting. This is like total cadence. I mean, it's all fun and games, but. It's all fun and games until Wall Street is totally destroyed. <laughs> yeah, when we, when we engineer the stock market crash all right. and all of our stocks go down, we're not going to be that happy. All right. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Other Life Podcast, the only podcast in the world dedicated to exiting institutions through the internet. And wow, is it an amazing time to have a podcast dedicated to using the internet to overthrow institutions. Probably the most, perhaps arguably the most interesting and crazy week in the entire history of American finance. Overstatement or appropriate statement? Uh, overstatement. Say more. But but it's up there for sure. Okay, it's up there. It's um, up there. I think there's probably been something on the order of a couple of dozen weeks of this magnitude I think uh, in the history of the stock market. And this is the first time that we've seen uh, a lot of the action really driven by social media, uh, which, you know, for people like me and you that live and breathe social media, it's kind of fun to see um, the first time that it's really taken a hold of the stock market and driven price action. Exactly. I'm not saying it's the, the greatest magnitude of change in the American financial system in one week. But in terms of when you factor in just the, the technological aspects that are just completely new and wild, to me, in my in my viewpoint, I would make the argument that this is probably the craziest week in American finance ever, simply because so much of what's going on is is fundamentally new, and what it portends is is so phenomenal. So, what we're going to do in this live stream, I have my my buddy Jacob here, who is himself an active day trader. So, and he's actually immersed in the world of of you know the the Wall Street bets and and all of this stuff. Uh, what we're going to do is. We are going to first go over just WTF is happening. We're going to give you a from beginning to end kind of summary and recap and explanation of what the frick people are even talking about with GameStop and Reddit and Wall Street and Robinhood. We'll give you, we're going to start with just a, a, a summary and basic explanation of everything you might be wondering about if you find any of that confusing. And then when we're done with that recap, we will go into our you know various takes on what this means where it's going for those of you who are tuning in for the first time i'm a political scientist by training by vocation so people who watch my my show know i have a kind of longer standing meta narrative around institutions and 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 where things are going in in this respect so we'll we'll have all different types of uh riffs and digressions on on what's going on so uh Real quick, before we get started, uh, please do subscribe to the YouTube channel, all right? And then click the little bell so you get notifications. A lot of you don't click the bell, so you don't know when I go on these awesome live streams, which I'm click doing, the bell. which I'm doing more and more of. 
Yeah, and also like this video because it's badass. I think you click already the like bell it. Bell or Justin will break you up like the government broke up AT and T. And for those of you listening on the on the podcast on your phone, uh, if you like this, please, I would just ask you to go and leave a review on iTunes. I'm really trying to grow the show out more systematically right now, so I would just really appreciate your support. It helps other people find the show. And yeah, that's pretty much all I got by by way of introduction. Jacob, I think we should get right into it. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so take us back to the very beginning of this story with perhaps Roaring Kitty is the best place to start. He's a good place. So go ahead. Um, so I, I think, you know, Wall Street Bets is the subreddit that is dedicated to making large risky bets on the stock market. Uh, they've kind of turned the stock market into a casino. That's the accusation against them. Uh, the accusation back is that for Wall Street, the stock market's always been a casino um, and you get better odds anyway. So, um, you know, Wall Street bets used to be smaller. Uh, even two years ago, it was, uh, I, I'm sure we could look up the numbers, but it was not that large. Um, and the first time that we really saw um, Wall Street bets move the market, uh, like the idea that the subreddit could move the market started out actually with the SpaceX, um, not SpaceX, but um, Virgin Galactic uh, SPAC, despacking. When, when that despacked, you know, they pumped, they, they, they got hyped. And, and it moved, uh, Virgin Galactic flew up after it came public. Um, but it really, really, we haven't seen Wall Street bets move large stocks, like not really been able to move the market in that way. And when was that Virgin Galactic moment? That was uh, late last year. Okay. So there was some premonition that there could be internet-based movement of markets in this kind of wild and mimetic way early, about a year, about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. They were pretty excited about that. You know, everybody was like, you know, get the tendies, uh, buy Virgin Galactic, uh, ticker SPCE. What is tendies? Uh, tendies is, is money. Okay, there's all this lingo on Wall Street bets that you might see and not know. So I'm going to ask stupid questions. What is it? Ref what is it referred like tender? Chicken, chicken tenders. So, they, <laughs> so the idea is kind of self-deprecatory. It's like they're so poor that like having chicken tenders would be, uh, you know, like rich to them. So their, okay. their idea of wealth is like having frozen chicken tenders. They like to call themselves retards. That's a very common word I noticed. Yes. And so we'll go through the lingo as, as, as Jacob tells the story. So go on. Not that I would ever drop the R bomb on air. I did that last you're time. You're good. You're a good Christian. I uh, appreciate that. That's why but, I have you uh, on my show. The, uh, okay. So let's go to roaring kitty. Um, so this gets sharp, man. Like, you know, wall street bets is full of people that have no idea what they're doing. They're yoloing their entire life savings, which might be like a thousand bucks from their job at Wendy's on, some stock play or another, but it also has some people that do serious stock analysis. Um, and Roaring Kitty, uh, also known on the subreddit as Deep Fucking Value, uh, that's his Reddit name. Um, like you, you, you go back and you watch his GameStop video. Uh, he has a he has a summary video from July, I think, um, where he's go, going over the thesis, and he really gets what's going on. Like you know, he's like, okay, this this stock is priced priced for bankruptcy. Uh, but I don't think it's going to go bankrupt. And moreover, like when the next council cycle comes out, it's going to, uh, pardon, I've been drinking carbonated sodas. <laughs> um, bad for a live on air. But um, yeah, he, he's like, when the next console cycle comes around, you know, PlayStation 5, uh, this thing, they're going to make a bunch of money and then they can use that money to reinvent themselves. Like sure, maybe in the long run, brick and mortar retailers are, are dead. Like the bare thesis on GameStop is this is the next blockbuster. And this video. is how long ago he's saying this? This is July. This is July. And yeah. so Roaring Kitty is the name of a YouTuber. Yeah. On on Reddit, he's known as Deep Fucking Value. Yeah. And so in July, he's basically saying 
GameStop looks undervalued, looks like it could be a legit business or it could bounce back. And it, and it's not as bad as the market seems to suggest. And, and Roaring Kitty is very abnormal for Wall Street bets when it comes to his investing style. Like this is what he specializes in is like companies that are near bankruptcy, but like can turn it around. Like and, he, he, and he's a young guy. How yeah. old roughly? Uh, he looks to be in his late 20s. And did, did he have a big YouTube following or what no. in July, like roughly? No, I mean, you go back and look at even right now that that GameStop summary video has like 16,000 views. And that's after all this has gone on. Uh, so he wasn't in his uh, his how to how to analyze stock videos have less than a thousand views each. OK, um, so, I mean, people are copying his trades, but they're not necessarily like doing the hard work to learn how to analyze stocks like him. But I think I think he must have worked at I would not be surprised if he worked at as an investment analyst, like at, at a at a firm um, doing it professionally because he knew the lingo. He knew uh, he knew the tools. Uh, he was doing serious stock analysis here. Um, and this this story actually with GameStop, like how did he get the idea? Uh, it starts a little bit before Roaring Kitty, and it has a it has a Michael Burry tie-in, which I think is delightful. All right, let's hear. Uh, it. I don't know. You ever seen this uh, this show, The Big Short? This the, uh, the movie, the movie, The Big Short. Yep. So it's about this guy. Uh, one of the main characters is this guy Michael Burry, who shorts the real estate market in two thousand eight. Makes a big big ball of cash, and and the movie kind of kind of sexes it up a little bit where. You know, he has this hedge fund and he's short all these mortgage companies and he's losing money month after month and his clients are calling him up to redeem their their money and he's like telling them to go to go take a walk and he won't redeem their money mm -hmm. and he's losing money, losing money, losing money. And then finally when the real estate bubble pops, he makes a ton of money and he's a hero, right? I think he made a few billion billion on that. Um yeah, but Michael Burry, uh his hedge fund has to file like some sort of regulatory uh statements every now and then that show like what they hold. And um, and Roaring Kitty reads these to get to get stock ideas. So one of the one of the ideas that came across his screen from Michael Burry was GameStop. Michael Burry is huge into GameStop. Um, so this is going to be Michael Burry's second fortune. I don't know if he's he's probably exited by now, uh, but I imagine if you are long if you are an investor in Scion Capital, which is Michael Burry's hedge fund, you are a very happy camper okay. uh, this year. So Roaring um, Kitty is reading Michael Burry's reports, basically. Yeah, and but he uses that to get to get idea flow, and then he's doing his own research on all all the ideas. He's also reading a bunch of other funds too that of people he likes and respects. I mean, he has uh, long videos on how to do what he does, uh, and you know this kid's sharp. Mm -hmm. uh, but he posts to Reddit this idea for GameStop um, over the summer. GameStop's trading at four bucks, uh, and I think the market cap's something like four hundred million. Um, and part of the thesis is that um, this, this stock, not only is it not going to go bankrupt, and it's probably going to double, triple in value when people realize it's going to survive, um, but it, the short interest on the stock is over 100%. Um, so it has 120% short interest, which means some of the shares of the company have been sold short more than once. Also, there might be some naked shorting, which is quasi illegal. Um, so explain what the, there are two things there. Maybe just explain them briefly. The first, yeah. how can there how can there be more shorts than there are shares? Yeah, so it's very unusual. Uh, it means, I mean, this stock was hated by by Wall Street, um, or at least by a couple of hedge funds. Actually, let's go even more simple. Explain a, sh a short. Sure. Um, so there's two ways to make. There's two directions a stock can move. Right, it can move up. The price can go up. The price can go down. And uh, so when you make money, when you buy a stock and, the, and you're hoping for the price to go up, we, we call that being long a stock. Right. Um, the opposite of that is being short a stock. You make money when the stock goes down. Right. 
Uh, and the way you do that mechanically, although if you're doing this on your on your brokerage, you probably won't see any of this. But the way it happens mechanically is you you uh, your broker will borrow that share from someone else, and then you sell it in the marketplace. But now you have a liability to pay that share back. Right. So if the share goes down in price and you buy it back for less than you sold it, uh, you can give it back, uh, and you make the difference between you know, what you sold it at and what you right. paid to buy it back. But on the other hand, the potential downside is virtually uncapped. Well, yeah, it's asymmetric is the, is the problem. Uh, so if you want to be a short seller, you got a lot of things against you. One is, I mean, that borrow costs interest. So you, you have to pay for as long as you stay short. Um, there's no way to be short for free. Uh, and the other is that if you're long a stock, the most you can lose is all your money. Uh, if you're short a stock, because a stock can go to zero on the, mm -hmm. on the low side. But if you're short a stock, the most you can lose is as high as the stock goes. Right. So, so you can lose more than you actually have. Yeah, you can lose an infinite amount. Right, which is where things get dicey is, for the hedge is, funds that is, are trying to short GameStop right now. Which is exactly hint, hint. where things are at. Got it. Great. Excellent, excellent little fin finance review here. So now you were talking about how GameStop actually had more shorts out than there were stock available. Explain yeah. how, how is that possible? Well, you. I, I think what's happening is, is you, um, so you borrow a share to sell it short. Um, and then, uh, someone else borrows. So someone is holding that stock. It's, it's sort of like fiat money in a way where how, how bank loans create like a higher money supply. Cause you, you, you loan out money and then someone deposits that money in another bank and that bank uses the deposits to create more loans. It's like, uh, in a similar way, like, uh, if there's a high enough short interest, like you're borrowing shares, you're loaning them to, to sell in the market. And then someone else is borrowing that same share to sell it again. Okay. Um, and so the, the short interest got over 100%. And, and some people argue this should be illegal, uh, or at least should be illegal going forward. Right. Um, but um, something else people might want to appreciate is that when you go long on a stock and you're invested in a company, you want that company to succeed. It has yeah. a kind of pro social connotation to it. When you are short on a stock, you really are looking for that company to fail. And there are different subtle ways in which Wall Street actors can try to produce the future that they want yeah, in a way. There, there is some reflexivity here uh, where like if your stock price gets jacked way high, you might be able to raise capital easier. You might be able to um, take out debt easier at better terms because you'll be assumed to be a better, uh, basically you're, you'll be assumed to be a better uh, uh, risk. So um, it definitely by, by driving the price of shares into the ground, by shorting it a lot, uh, you um, you are, you're you're are potentially hindering their access to capital markets because it'll look like a bad risk, right? Um, and, and especially with GameStop, which GameStop, sorry, I keep on calling it GameStop, uh, <laughs> which uh, you know because they uh, they had a, quite a bit of a debt load, um, and and refinancing that debt was part of the long thesis. Uh, but the other thing, uh, the reason why having all that, that money short was part of the long thesis too, is because it can cause a short squeeze, uh, which is the next thing we should talk about. Right. So this is basically when short people decide, oh, this is getting too high. I want out. So to actually exit the short position, you have to effectively buy the stock, which further accelerates the price increase basically. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the shorts to exit the position, the shorts have to act against their own interests. So it creates a prisoner's dilemma in, in some way where, when the first short out uh, gets out at the best price. Um, you know, you have a stampede for the exits and that can drive the, the price of the stock up quicker. Um, so it's this positive feedback loop. Um, 
and and so I mean that was a thesis, you know, back when GameStop was four bucks. Uh, but then, um, you know, it had another uh, it had another thing happen to it, which was a Silicon Valley investor, the founder of Chewy.com, uh, who is a billionaire, started buying up shares of GameStop uh, in the fall uh, when it was around fourteen, fifteen dollars. Uh, he bought up fifteen uh, percent of the company and joined the board, um, and so that that came to be uh, indicative of. Okay, that games the, the likelihood of it GameStop turning around and reinventing itself as a company, and instead of being the next blockbuster of video games, being the next Netflix of video games, like that that increased uh, when uh, Ryan uh, Ryan Cohen Ryan Cohen I think that's his name uh, joined the board, um, and so then people started getting hyped, and this is where Roaring Kitty comes in basically to say, oh, there's a possibly a bright future for GameStop to reinvent itself. I don't think the you know, I think this company is undervalued is the, the message basically. Well, uh, he was, you know, he sent out that message and he posted it to Wall Street Bets before Ryan Cohen was even involved. Okay. You know, like, like over the summer when GameStop was around four bucks. But by the time, uh, you know, GameStop was around $15, like that's when people on Wall Street Bets really started listening to him. Like he kept on posting updates on how his position was was going. I think sometime, somewhere around like in the mid-teens, he went YOLO on it. So meaning he put his entire portfolio in it into it. Um, which was, I, I believe, $700,000. Um, and that was when? Uh, I think that was in the fall. It was somewhere in the mid-teens on the stock price. And he's now made how much? Uh, at a peak yesterday, he he had $50 million. <laughs> And this is a, just a young man who had a few thousand followers on YouTube yeah. posting videos based on his own research, essentially. Yeah, and so, I mean, today he was down $17 million, so up to, you know, 33. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yesterday, um, I mean, I guess the long story short is... Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm a big Hedgeye fan. Uh, I, I like their research, their stock research. Uh, and I don't listen to Wall Street Bets very much because their ideas tend to be really hit and miss. Um, it's like, you know, maybe 10% of... <laughs> I, I would think so. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, you know, I tried tried a bunch of Wall Street Bets trade and I didn't make a lot of money. I probably lost money following Wall Street Bets. So um, I kind of ignored the whole GameStop hype. But when Hedgeye uh, put out a research report and they said, uh, yeah, we buy this thesis, we're long on it. I'm like, Oh, I can be long a Wall Street bets idea and have Hedgeye behind, like Hedgeye's research, who I trust, who are like older than me, like they're like in their fifties and like you know serious people like like this idea too. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, make it my biggest position, uh, and so I, I did that. Um, but uh, I think that was also part of the catalyst uh, for uh, it really the thesis starting to work, um, which was only a couple of weeks ago now. Okay, so you were in, you got in on the the GameStop play in part from reading Wall Street Bets. You just got out a little earlier than oh, way too early. others. Yeah, too early. Yeah, but you did yeah. come out on top of it. Yeah, you made money. I made, I made like fifty percent on my largest position. So. Just to be clear, I don't own any of these companies. Just to to be clear, uh, but also the, none of this is financial advice. We're going to yeah. say that a few times. So uh, just to be extra clear. So okay, so that's great background. So Roaring Kitty on YouTube, aka Deep Fucking Value on fucking on on Reddit is leading this charge, making this case that uh, people should buy GameStop because it could reinvent itself and become much more valuable than the market is currently giving credit for. Now, on the other hand, there are these um, short buyers or short whatever. Short sellers. Short sellers, that's yeah. right, uh, who are basically have it out for GameStop. Think They think it's going to go down. They want it to go down, so they buy short stocks. And most famously or most notoriously at this point is the Melvin Capital Melvin Cap. Fund, right? Yeah. And so give us a sense of how what happens this week 
to really trigger the this thing that now everyone on and their mom is talking about well yeah i mean it's gotten so big that it's really having systemic effects in the stock market right but tell it do you know the story of like what happened this week how did that kind of uh, accelerate and kick off yeah i can i can i can talk about that a little bit i mean so basically you're having um well i think these short sellers are just idiots uh like the um like when you're looking at gamestop at um, you know, back when it was $4 a share, your max, that means your maximum win is $4 a share. Like you're trying to squeeze the last bit of juice out of a raisin, right? Um, like, but, and then people were putting out research, like you, you knew that Michael Burry like bought up a few million shares. Like there's, there was a bull thesis and these, the people who were, uh, short were ignoring all this research coming out saying that GameStop is good. And, uh, and if they were right, you know, they're going to make four bucks a share. Uh, and if they were wrong, well, now they've lost, uh, you know, at peak $360 a share. Uh, you know, that's very asymmetric. And, the they're and they're holding how much? Give us a sense of the proportions. Like how big of a problem is this for Melvin Capital? Well, Melvin Capital, I don't remember the size, but I know that they were down when GameStop was up to 70 bucks. I think they were down 15% on the year. So the, I think uh, it wasn't a very large position, but um, you know they they're probably down something like sixty percent on the year on their total portfolio now, uh, which is catastrophic. Right, catastrophic. They could very well go under. Oh yeah, uh, Melvin Capital is probably going to go under. Uh, they got uh, they got a bailout of, uh, of a, a couple of billion bucks. They got an investment from from another uh, hedge from another um, investment firm uh, that that he used to the head of Melvin used to work with. And uh, they blew through that in a day. And something else people should note is that this is a very well-known, highly respected, generally very successful hedge fund. I mean, but these guys are huge, right? <laughs> like, I mean, Melvin's not a huge hedge fund, but, you know, they I think their total portfolio value is in the small billion, handful of billions, um, which is probably bigger than all of Reddit combined. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, one of the myths, pardon, one of the, one of the myths of, uh, of uh, this whole thing is that it's Reddit driving the price. And I don't think that's the case. Uh, Reddit doesn't have that much money. Um, what, what I think is happening is that the thesis started working and then a lot of Wall Street's long too. Like a, a, a lot of other people's money started coming in on the side of Reddit. Um, hmm. Because I mean, Reddit was hyping GameStop for months and it didn't, and this short squeeze didn't really trigger. Right. Uh, and they were hyping a lot of stocks for months. Um, like I saw them hype Pal Palantir for like four months and, and it was trading between uh, it was like 25, 24, 27 for like four months. Like Reddit, if, if, if Reddit really had that much power, right. it would have been flying to the moon. So something you're kind of demystifying is that Wall Street bets on Reddit does not have some sort of autonomous power to just pick a stock, make it go up real fast. It's really not that simple. Well, In this case, it, it, it's a fact that there was actually a bull thesis for GameStop, which was neglected, which is actually based on research, which you can make a, a strong financial case for that intersected with the fact that it was a meme stock and, and, and got hype on, well, on, in, in on video games, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that helps I think that's too, a right? big part of it. That's a good point. Actually, people might not, I, I didn't even think about that really in any event. It's not like wall street bets can just pick a stock. They all start buying it up and hyping it up and it just increases. It's not that simple, no. but this was a case where certain forces aligned and wall street bets was the, one of arguably the key causal factor that really triggered 
the, 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 the short squeeze, which is what we explained before, which is when, you know, the price starts to increase, which forces short sellers to get out, which makes well, it increase even more. And that's basically what happened this week. There's a short squeeze and a gamma. Oh, break that down. I don't uh, know. I know. I understand shorting, but I don't know what a ga so, so gamma there, squeeze is. So there's a double squeeze going on. Um, all right. And school us. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, the, the best person to talk about a gamma squeeze, but basically, so people that make op uh, markets and options, um, so they're selling options short uh, uh, or they're selling you an option, which is the right to buy a stock at a certain price in the future. Um, and uh, the, the issue with selling options is, is if the stock, if you're selling a call, which is a bet that the stock will go up and the stock does go up, you can be out an unlimited amount of money um, in, in levered too. Uh, so what option sellers do is they hedge uh, by buying the underlying stock to stay what they call Delta neutral. Um, so if I'm selling an option, which is the right to buy, uh, right to buy a hundred shares of game stock, um, then, uh, it, then that, that option, if it's out of the probably has a Delta of something like, like, uh, 0.3, which means that for every dollar that game stock goes up, that options value will go up by, uh, by 30 bucks because it's a right to buy a hundred shares. Um, and so, but as, as the, the price of the underlying stock gets closer to the strike price of the option, the Delta increases and the second derivative of Delta uh, or the derivative of Delta, uh, is called gamma, um, which just comes from the black Scholes option model. Um, and so this is called the gamma squeeze because as the, the Delta of, of the option goes up, the dealer has to buy more shares to, to hedge their exposure. Uh, which means that it's another positive feedback loop there when they're shooting themselves in the foot by trying to protect themselves, uh, just like a short squeeze, uh, for the, the options dealer to protect their position. Uh, they have to keep buying the stock and which also drives the price up, which means they have to buy more. It's a catch 22. Right. Um, so that that's kind of new and that is part of what's happening with wall street bets because wall street bets is buying more options than people used to buy. Uh, in fact, we had the highest volume week for options in history. Uh, this week so that is a first wow that okay. is unprecedented okay um and that's because people realize that with an option you know a short dated option like a one-week option on a, on, a, on a stock if it goes up 100 percent like it did this week you had people making like uh, like a thousand percent uh i saw one kid make uh ten thousand percent on gamestop you know he turned 500 bucks into fifty thousand bucks um dude if anyone out there listening to this by the way happens to be active on wall street bets and has made a good chunk of money on this recent chaos and you want to come on the show i would love that leave a reply or shoot me an email or dm me on twitter yeah, just I'm, wanted to throw that out there I'm, I'm a very i'm a very conservative investor so i mean i had gamestop as my top position at 17 uh but i sold most of my shares at 35. i really wanted to meet a 17 year old kid who just became a millionaire from nothing yeah and i'd talk with them that'd be awesome so okay great so the other big thing that happened just today and by the way i know this stuff moves so fast so by the time you're listening to this maybe things will be different. I should note that right now it's Thursday and it is Thursday, the 28th at 4 26 PM at the, at the time of this recording, GameStop is currently priced at 193, 256. Oh wait, it just changed. Yeah. Oh wow. I, in the time that I don't, don't, didn't refresh my phone. Don't, don't okay. FUD my, my game. Oh damn. Now. Okay. So, um, so as of right now, one of the things that's most interesting and significant today is that the, the the exchanges are now blocking people from buying GameStop. Well, well, let's talk about yeah, break it down. Let's talk about why the the move in the stock is people so upset. Like, why is it that 
you know, nobody can talk about anything else. Um, and, and well, first of all, you have people caught short like Melvin Capital. Uh, you know, with each day that passed, their positions getting worse and worse. But I think they're they're holding out in, in hopes that the the GameStop bubble pops um, and that they can get out at, at a smaller loss. But so far, that just hasn't been the case. I mean, today it's down a bit, but it's still like a catastrophic uh, position for them. So these hedge funds could go out of business um, for sure, and other hedge funds, other hedge funds that are short too. And the short interest hasn't declined. Um, and, and so uh, as some shorts have exited, new shorts have come in saying like, oh, there's no way GameStop deserves to be a $300, $40 billion company, $300 share, $40 billion company. Right. And we're going to come short now. And, and uh, but at this point, this, the price movement is not about the company. It's, it's entirely about market mechanics. It's about how many shares are there and who needs to buy them and how desperate they are to buy them. Uh, it's it's the Reddit's trying to corner the mar- market, which is why they're telling each other not to... Uh, and not to sell like you know that's why but isn't this just what a market is it's people bidding up and down uh, a scarce resource I, yeah that's what you know they 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 like the stock and they don't want to sell it so you're going to have to pay more but are you so are you making are you making a case in favor of uh pausing or halting uh the 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 buying and selling or what are uh, you no saying? no i'm just saying um this is what's driving uh one of the things that's driving the, the price up is they're trying to corner the market. Like they're right. trying to buy and they're trying to hold and they're not going to sell to the short sellers unless the short sellers pay uh, as, as much as humanly possible. Right. But it is crazy. Am I right? That places like Robinhood are saying, all right, you're just not allowed to buy this particular set of stocks anymore. Well, okay. Let's get into why they're doing that a little okay. bit. Okay. So you have hedge funds that can go out of business. Right. Uh, next up on the list is whoever's selling these options. Uh, like, I don't know that they can hedge, uh, that they can hedge fast enough. But wait, a lot of people are going to be already thinking what's wrong with the hedge fund going out of business. This is what a market sure. is, right? Sure. So, so I, is it weird or is it normal that Robinhood is prevent, it wants to prevent these hedge funds from I going mean, out of business? There's definitely something I think nefarious about it where like, I mean, it's, uh, you know, nobody cares if, uh, if Robinhooders right. lose money, but everyone's upset if a hedge fundy, if a, if a fundy uh, hedgy does. But is it a systemic um, risk prevention type I, of I think problem? There, I think there is some systemic risk. Right. So this is where it gets a little nuanced because Reddit, you could imagine a situation where so many hedge funds go out of business that it actually has downside consequences on the economy as a whole, the whole like too big to fail problem. But is that really plausible well, here? Let's, uh, so let's walk through okay. um, some of the potential risks. And not all this stuff have I have I researched exactly to see like if the magnitudes make sense. But um, so market makers can go out of business, right? Like Citadel, which uh, makes markets in GameStop options, and who also order, uh, manages the uh, the Robinhood order flow, by the way. So um, they could blow up as well um, because uh, I don't think that they can hedge their position fast enough uh, on the on the options they're selling um, when 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 the stock is moving this fast. Um, so they're going to be, I don't think they're delta neutral anymore uh, on the calls they're selling. So Citadel could go out of business. Uh, and then also uh, what happens when these shorts uh, go bankrupt um, and they they owe this stock back to someone? You, you might find a lot of people that have GameStop in their account. Um, you know, a lot of people might find that their broker can no longer, uh, no longer has the shares for them because they lent them out. Um, and so... Uh, I think a lot of brokers could take multi-billion-dollar hits, like E-Trade, Robinhood. Um, like Robinhood could go out of business. Uh, I, I just saw some someone tweeting that they're 
they were drawing down their credit lines uh, to cover some liability that uh, is, has gone pear-shaped for them in the last few days. Um, and, uh, you know, so you could potentially see um, uh, brokers, market makers, and hedge funds all go out of business. And another thing that happened, you know, yesterday uh, was a big down day in the market. It was like, I don't know, uh, you, you don't see a day like that more than once every couple of months. Um, and uh, in, in this market anyway. And uh, I think what was happening was a lot of hedge funds were, were selling off their, uh, their, their long shares to, to pay for covering their shorts. Um, so, so there is a potential that like, you know, Rob, that uh, Reddit engineers a market crash um, and probably screws themselves over in the process if like they drive their brokers out of business and uh, there's a long bankruptcy process. Or right, so in some extreme case, if the Wall Street bets pro GameStop viral movement were to become big enough, it could actually tank so many different market actors that the economy itself could be hurt in some non-trivial way that well, they would then feel themselves. Certainly the stock market, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, fascinating. So, so Robinhood, as of today, has basically put a hold on trading these meme stocks that are hot on Wall Street bets. Yeah. Not, just, um, not just the one we're talking about, GameStop, but other ones that are big, like... What are the other ones? The main oh, ones, AMC, AMC, the movie uh, theater, right? No, yeah, Nokia. Um, let's see, uh, a couple of others. Uh, well, one th another thing you have to uh, understand. Bed Bath and Beyond is one, right? Bed Bath and Beyond. So another thing you have to understand is that so they, they saw this started working, right? And on the day that GameStop really started ripping higher, on the day it broke thirty five, it was up sixty percent in a day. On that day, all the other stocks that were popular on Reddit started to run too. Because when, when that one started working, I think people started to see like- We could do it again. <laughs> well, well, they started getting confidence. Maybe the lurkers finally like dumped their money in. You know, everybody's like, okay, let's go. And so every stock that was popular in the Reddit portfolio, this was only like 10 days ago or eight days ago, um, started ripping higher. Like Palantir, which had been rain, range bound for four months, you know, broke out, uh, went over 30. Um, and then you have uh, these other short, then they started targeting other high short interest stocks. They're like, let's, let's bankrupt every hedge fund out there. Every, every, <laughs> every, every long short hedge fund. Um, so, I mean, a lot of hedge funds, they run long short, which means that uh, they have a short book that's similar in size to a long book. So if the market drops, they're trying to make money no matter which way the market moves, like the broader market uh -huh. by having things that will fall more than the market when it goes down and gain more than the market when it goes up. Right. So they're trying to make uh, the difference between those two. Uh, so um, AMC movie theaters was highly shorted. Uh, Dillard's, the, the this clothing store that's popular in the South, they're highly shorted. Um, lots of other, uh, lots of other stocks. Right. I mean, for people who, if this maybe isn't obvious, we haven't mentioned it, but basically once this, became in the public limelight and then there was especially when there was this action uh, from places like robin hood to to try to contain uh these 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 reddit stocks then what happened was the energy on wall street bets and on reddit accelerated in turn and now it's like every now it's experienced by people who are active on wall street bets as this holy war essentially it's like yeah. it's like we were taking down the bad guys who were trying to kill gamestop then the bad guys got even more aggressive and instituted these unjust arbitrary restrictions on us out of nowhere. And so now it's like a war to the, war to the death. And where do you think it's going? Like, how well, do you think it's going to shake out? Uh, just one, one more thing. Um, another thing that they did is they, they went through Melvin Capital's portfolio and they found every short in the portfolio and started buying them all. 
So it's like, you know, they're, they're really trying to blow Melvin, Melvin Capital out of the water. I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the year down more than 100%. Um, and, uh, but it's kind of like any hedge fund that has any large short position now, like yesterday they were covering, um, which is why yesterday was such a big drop because, uh, this started happening overseas too, on the Australian stock exchange, on the British stock exchange, like every heavily shorted stock started, started ripping upwards. Um, and, and so it, it's kind of like, it used to be the case that if you were a short seller, you, you take out a big short position, then you publish your research saying why you think it sucks. You try to drive the stock down, try to make it come true. But nowadays, if you had a big short position, then you published a position that says, this is why you should short the stock. Like that's just putting a target on your back. Like how things are right now, that's 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 a way to get a harpoon right through the chest. Um, <laughs> Speaking of spiking upwards, our viewer count is uh, ripping upwards. So uh, folks, we're about to get into all the nitty gritty about how this is going to pan out politically and different other theoretical interpretations. So I want to ask you real quick, you know, if you're active in some kind of private DM group or some Discord server or whatever, any group of people you think would be interested in this conversation, uh, do me a favor and just uh, give them a link to this live stream. Uh, bring your friends in because we're going to be hanging out for at least another, you know, probably another at least 30 minutes, probably more. And now now is when, you know, we're going to really get into the good stuff. We kind of went over the basics, wanted to give everyone a basic summary and explanation. But now it's time to really try to unpack where all this is going and what it means, because in my view, as a political scientist, as a political theorist, this is truly fascinating and frankly, quite exciting, uh, uncharted territory. So I'm curious to start, Jacob, with with your perspective on how do you think this shakes out just financially uh, from your perspective as a trader? Like, what's your bet mm. in terms of who's going to be the winners, who's going to be the losers in one week in maybe a few months, however you see that? Well, um, you know, I'm, I might jump around a little bit here sure. if, if it's okay. And I'm sorry, I'm not following your questions too exactly. Uh, but as like just information comes to my mind, um, I'm a lot of adrenaline in my system and not too much sleep. So it's like, um, you know, I have to deal with uh, however my mind works in a, in a given moment. It's cool, man. It's um, been a crazy week. It has been a crazy week. I mean, week. I don't have money in the markets like any in any way related to this, except Bitcoin, which I do think is quite related to this in the long run, which we'll yeah. talk about. But so for me, it's just been super fun and entertaining to watch, but you've been in the thick of it. So it's yeah. okay with that as a caveat, no problem. Uh, so the question is, uh, how is this going to shake out financially? Well, I think as of two days ago, or even as of yesterday, and this is not financial advice. Yeah, you had, um, it was just checkmate, right? It seemed like it. Yeah, it was just uh, um, like two days ago, you had a celebrity starting to tweet about GameStop, uh, GameStop, sorry. <laughs> Uh, and get and, and and post a TikTok about buying the shares, which was a new level of hype. Who was it? Um, uh, Elon tweeted about it. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, then Chamath, uh, he 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 uh, he yoloed a hundred thousand dollars worth. But on, who on TikTok? On on uh, someone named Kia or Mia, some a girl. Okay. Yeah, some girl pop star. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a whole new level of like <laughs> yeah. crossover, right? So this thing could have went to. Um, I mean, it still might for all I know, but, you know, with the countermeasures being deployed today, which we'll get to, uh, it might cut it off. But this thing, um, when a comparable short squeeze happened to Volkswagen uh, in 2008, um, it was, uh, by the way, which was engineered by a single entity. It was engineered by Porsche. Uh, Porsche is as much of a hedge fund as it is a car company. Um, they, uh, they bought up a bunch of shares of Volkswagen. They knew it had a high short interest, and then they published that they had done so over the weekend, got the shorts nice and scared. Then come Monday, people uh, uh, stampeded to the exits. There was uh, 16 shorts for every one share outstanding. Um, 
that was free float after Porsche bought up all the extra shares. And uh, Volkswagen became, on that day, the most valuable company in the world uh, in terms of market cap. So that was, I think that was over a 10x increase. Um, you know, it was bigger than Exxon, bigger than Apple, bigger. And Volkswagen's not that big of a company. It was a car maker that was in danger of bankruptcy at the time in the 2008 financial crash. And it, it popped to become the most valuable stock on the market. Mm-hmm. So GameStop, if it did that, it would be another 100x from here. Uh, which would put it around 100x higher. Yeah, that would, that would put it at a four trillion dollar company. I guess 50x would would take you to to Apple's market cap, right? Two trillion. Um, wow, that could happen if people aren't selling. And but this would this would ha- only happen if Robinhood and the various exchanges allow people to start buying. Again, if there right? was if there was no countermeasures, I think we could be headed. Um, but at some point, what will happen? Because there's just no. It's just so insane to be short. Um, and the shorts aren't backing down, but at some point they start backing down. I, I mean, a margin call uh, is when um, you, you know your your broker requires you to put up money to maintain a short position that's going against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if you're a billionaire, uh, like if the stock's going to infinity, uh, that's that's a big margin call. What are the chances that Robinhood and places like that just don't allow any more buying for like weeks? Is that is that feasible? Um, I mean, it's interesting. So, 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 uh, like I was saying, like as of yesterday, it felt like checkmate. It felt like there was no way for um, Robinhood for for Wall Street bets to lose. Uh, and, and there was just more and more firepower coming online um, that was outside of Reddit. Uh, and uh, this thing was going to squeeze and, until uh, until the long started taking profits. You know, classic bubble behavior. Something goes to infinity, then at some point. You know, the last one out loses. Um, right, which is something we, we should talk briefly about because the the narrative that this is just like populist economic justice is a little a little nuance should be added to that because to for for the for the Wall Street bets folks to make money, they have to sell the stock and the last people to sell the stock are gonna be out money. So it's yeah. not it's not this like totally cozy everyone on Reddit wins and the big guy gets taken down. Like there will be losers even from the Reddit camp yeah. in an ideal world, even it's called being the bag holders and, right. uh, and given the mentality of wall street bets and how idealistic they are, um, they're very likely to be the bag holders. Like they're all saying, if you read wall street bets, it's all like hold as long as possible, keep holding, keep holding. But there's some disingenuousness there because at a certain point people for I mean, it, for it to be a winning, you have to sell and, so that's what's kind of sketchy is that like it's not just this well, populist economic justice thing. I mean, but it can it can last longer than you think it can. Uh, and I mean, the Volkswagen bubble, you know, it 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 popped in one day, but that was because um, you know it didn't have this populist movement behind it where everybody was trying to buy and hold Volkswagen. I mean, right. so I would argue Tesla's in a in sort of a slow motion bubble like this where its valuation has ran far in front of its value. Um, and its market price is insane, but. You know, Wall Street bets likes Tesla, and lots of people like Tesla, uh, and so they buy it regardless of the underlying fundamentals. And I think, um, you know, Tesla. It, I've been calling for it to pop for for a year now, and it's not popping. Well, what's so interesting here that I want to comment on briefly is that for a lot of the people on Wall Street bets, because I've been watching it closely and reading it obsessively because it's so interesting and exciting and fascinating and bizarre, is that a lot of the people are saying. I don't even care if I make money anymore. This is, uh, they describe it in the terms of holy war. Yeah. And so there's this very fascinating phenomenon going on right now where it's like with things like Bitcoin, 
and things like, you know, Reddit driven market prices rising. It's like the code base of finance is being open sourced to a degree that we've never seen before. Like people, people are realizing that a lot of finance is essentially a matter of belief. And we now through the internet have the power to uh, engineer systems of belief, whether that's through, you know, uh, brilliant kind of software solutions, uh, or it's just through sheer kind of mimetic uh, creativity and organization. And that's profound in its own right. If that were the only thing going on, it would be revolutionary. But what's also going on is a kind of quasi religious aspect being uh, loaded onto that or converging with that, where it's almost like, as finance is becoming open sourced, it's almost like religion is also becoming open sourced. I mean, we're both Christian, so we don't, we won't like want to uh, sign on to that completely. But in some non-trivial way, it's like finance and belief systems as such are becoming open sourced, and people are uh, using their power to engineer these systems to a degree that I, I think we've never quite seen before. And whether you think, you know, you might think that's interesting and exciting and liberatory, you might think that is horrifying and scary and uh, problematic, but that's kind of what I find most interesting is it's not even so much about the the economic populist social justice angle, which is one of the common frames at the moment. It's something much deeper. It's like uh, the, these essential social institutions, whether it be finance or religion, are weirdly converging and being re-engineered from the ground up uh, through the internet. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, there's something religious about the Tesla stock ownership uh, in particular. Um, And, uh, you know, there's lots of memes of Elon uh, photoshopped into various icons and things. Uh, I don't own any Elon icons, but probably some people do out there. Uh, And and a lot of what's been, um, you know, driving this is really a hunt for the heretics, right? Like the uh, Wall Street Bets has been frustrated all year. By, uh, by short sellers who publish research against the stocks that they like uh, because, I mean, because they drive the stocks to ridiculous prices. Um, so like Citron Research or Melvin Capital, this isn't the first time they've crossed swords with Wall Street Bets and Wall Street Bets has, has lost uh, a lot of those battles. So there is a, a way of, um, and Melvin was, was short Tesla this year at some point, I believe. Uh, so uh, it's, that's one reason why Elon is is tweeting out the short squeeze, uh, t- tweeting to help the short squeeze and to drive people to do it. It's because he really wants to uh, put Melvin in the ground, uh, which looks to be what, what they did. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't talk about the countermeasures yet. Should I talk about the countermeasures? Right. What other kind of countermeasures might we expect to see? So, I mean, so this is, uh, I think it's unprecedented. Uh, and I think what we're seeing with um, a lot of brokers today, restricted trading and uh in these meme names, include GameStop, especially, but AMC, Nokia. Um, I almost feel uh, sad that you know, I, I'm, I'm, some of my companies that are heavily <laughs> shorted didn't make the list. I'm like, uh, uh, am I not that cool? But you know, I, I don't tend to pile into the most popular trades. Um, but uh, yeah, the, a lot of these uh, these brokers started restricting it, and, and you know, people asked uh, the Treasury Secretary about it at one of the press conferences, and she said she's monitoring the situation. And there's this feeling that um, it, it's similar to what I got when when Parler was shut down and Parler was kicked off, uh, you know, all the app store. It was this Twitter competitor that um, didn't moderate with the same uh, with, with the same um, editorial stance as all the Silicon Valley companies. Mm-hmm. You know, every Silicon Valley company has someone from the SPLC like moderating all their comments. 
and Parler didn't. Parler, Parler built itself as a more conservative Twitter. And so they got kicked off of every app store. They got their hosting pulled. They got their they got their payment processor pulled. They got everything everything gone. And the idea is we didn't realize that we were living in a cartel controlled economy, uh, like that there was an ideological cartel that, uh, you know, people say when, when people complain about moderating on Facebook and Twitter, people are always like, well, go build your own platform. This is a free market. <laughs> and, 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 but that argument only works when you're not living under monopoly power, when it comes to infrastructure, like if I can't go and build, uh, my own, uh, platform, then it becomes a little bit more nefarious. Right. Right. And, and I think with parlor, that's what we saw. It's like, okay, you can build your own platform, but you can't use any web hosting. You can't use any payment processor. We've seen other conservative platforms have trouble with banks. Like really you can't get you to build your own country. Uh, and, and the more that you squeeze people out of the market, the more and more resentful they become. And, and, and I think in a very similar way, what we're seeing with this wall street bets phenomenon is that, um, you know, these 20 something, these zoomers and these zoomers and millennials, you know, they figured out how to hack the market. They found the cheat code uh, and it started working for them. They started winning against, uh, you know, probably Gen Xers uh, and boomers. And um, and uh, and suddenly the rules of the game had to change. Right. And uh, and so far, there hasn't been any legal uh, changes. And, uh, you know, as far as I know, nothing that they did was illegal. Um and it's all within the rules of the game. Like if someone publishes a forum post saying this stock is good or there's a possible short squeeze here, like how is that different from a normal Wall Street company publishing their research and saying this stock is good? Right. Or, um, you know, buying stocks and going on CNBC and saying this is a good stock, yeah. <laughs> which is what they all do. I mean, even even Congress people, right? Politicians, these people own stocks. They have sure. vested interests. Nancy, and Nancy Pelosi the other day, she bought... Um, Tesla calls, right? She bought Tesla leaps, uh, long, long dated calls right before uh, Joe Biden had uh, put out a executive order to electrify the car fleet of the federal government. It's hilarious. So what I think is going on, one of the things I think is going on is that people who have status and money that is based on privileges within legacy institutions, these people are becoming more and more desperate and it's leading them to lash out or try to regain whatever last ounces of control they have in increasingly obvious and naked ways. To me, that's one of the things that's most striking about a lot of the stuff that's going on, but specifically looking at the Wall Street Bets fiasco, it's like Robinhood will just simply say nakedly, okay, there are these four stocks that this random internet forum is hyping. We're just going to pause buying and selling on those stocks. It The way that it's so pointed and arbitrarily uh, specifically, obviously unfair, and and they don't even care, right? It's like you'd have people like Dave Portnoy and other people saying like these people should go to jail. Like this should be, this should be, this should, this is crazy. This is like I mean, it's, this is an affront it's, in public. It's cartel behavior, yeah. but they're not even trying to hide it. Is what yeah. I think is interesting because they they don't really have options. They don't have the they don't have the option to. So that's why that's why what I see more and more across different domains, not just in finance, in this kind of dramatic example that we have this week. But in other ways also is that the institutional power holders are going to do literally anything it takes in plain sight because they're hanging on to their very last shreds of power. But to me, what all of this suggests is that the forces of the outside, whether that be Bitcoin or Urbit or anyone or any institution or organization that has made major bets 
on some kind of truly outside hypothesis that goes against the drift of legacy institutions, all of those people are going to be winning more and more. They already are. Like it just hmm. seems it, it that's that seems where things are going. Like no matter how this Wall Street bets situation pans out, probably the real winner is crypto, I think, because what happens when you have a bunch of Zoomers who realize they've hacked the source code of finance and they found the cheat code, as you said, and then the an arbitrary number of institutional power holders basically just say, oh, you're out of the game. They're going to look, you know, just a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right. And they're going to say, oh, there's this whole other monetary technology that is invulnerable to that kind of arbitrary power. Oh, OK, I'm going to obviously go play that game. To, to me, Bitcoin and crypto more generally is an obvious winner from this fiasco, but that's how I see it more generally. What do you think about that? I mean, I think I think there there is a, a part of this anti-establishment energy certainly behind crypto, uh, but you know, uh, the more successful crypto is like when crypt, when Bitcoin hit forty thousand, you started hearing talk about regulating it, right, and, and trying to do KYC on all self-hosted wallets, which would really defeat the purpose of having Bitcoin. So I think there's a way in, in which this 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 drama of of the outside versus the inside is playing out in many different realms, and the inside is constantly. I mean, it has a lot of power. It has most of the power, but they're still um, losing over and over again. Yeah, I mean, that's the. Th it's like uh, it's like I think it's like like the Roman Empire uh, when it start it started to lose a little bit of its territory to you know barbarian invasions. You know, with any any individual barbarian tribe, the Roman Empire was vastly more powerful than. Uh, but they were losing battles and losing little bits of territory and getting picked apart. Um, and then, it, and I think that can lead to, I mean, trends, trends happen, right? Like, like things tend to trend. Um, so I, I do think there's a way in which the establishment is getting a little fragile and a little worried, but I mean, any, any given, uh, incursion, like whether it be GameStop or Bitcoin or, um, or even like the riot at the Capitol, I think can, or parlor, I think can be shut down. Um, like they have a lot of power, uh, but um, but each time they they have to sort of change the rules of the game that they set up themselves to stop themselves from losing. Um, I think it it does uh, it does it does weaken their position a little bit. I think a lot. I mean, I I think the way that well, what's interesting about finance though? Sorry, uh, sure. It's just that um, you know one thing. I mean, like I think left wing uh, activist groups are sort of like this. Uh, are sort of like this controlled chaos where it's like if you want to be chaotic but you want to, in, to do it in a way that completely reinforces the establishment then you join like blm uh and uh but uh but i think in finance this it's you can't really create like controlled uh like a pet outsider that's a, that's like a fake outsider that's like the the tool of the insider like like a left-wing activism uh because um uh, because ultimately it's about winning and like it, you're, you're working on this objective medium, which is profits and losses. And so at the end of the day, it's really easy to tell someone that's going to go out and, and, and protest with Antifa that, that you're fighting the system, man. And meanwhile, like every corporation is like on your side. Uh, but that's because political um, outcomes are very vague. And, uh, and you can say like, yeah, it felt like I was fighting the system. And strangely, like, you know, the cops didn't arrest me when I burned a cop car and threw a brick at someone's face. Like, strangely, the FBI is not coming after me later to, like, hunt me down. Um, strangely, like, uh, you know, my slogan is appearing on, uh, on like, corporate banners, on, like, the Lululemon website. <laughs> um, 
you know, you know, you can ignore those, but, but in finance, it really is, uh, at the end of the day, you have objectivity. And I think the, the idea that you could have like a captive wall street bets that, um, that sort of like funnels this energy into an unproductive and trapped place where it can't endanger the establishment, uh, really, um, like really can't happen because they need to win money or they're not going to stick around. Right. So yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, I think that we could see in the next few years something kind of like the short squeeze phenomenon, but with institutions more broadly. I mean, mm-hmm. I like I like this mental I like the short squeeze as a mental model because what it what it really shows is that in the distribution of power when there are these kind of competing political games over culture, there can be the situation where, you know, the the movement or the transfer of power from one group to another is not this slow gradual thing, but once it starts to take off a little bit, then it starts to accelerate exponentially, mm. which is essentially what a what happens with a short squeeze. But I think you can see something similar happening with politics in a way, because let's say, for instance, Bitcoin continues to rise in value. Well, you could imagine um, a, a new breed of politicians, right? Realizing, oh, okay, I, I, maybe I'll hitch my wagon to this because you know, especially if the you know the U.S. dollar becomes you know, decreasingly attractive or whatever, or the American economy has, has more, you know, systematic problems or something like that. Right. And, and then at the point that institutional power holders started defecting, then it would just accelerate the trend. Right. So I think in, in the, in, in today's world, which is so networked, you want to be looking for nonlinearities everywhere. Like all the action is going to be nonlinear action. All, all everything that's most interesting is going to be nonlinear. And to me, I see, I just see, a lot of different domains where you could see this kind of accelerating defection phenomenon going on. So I see it all over the place. Like, I mean, from my own perspective, just with my own background, academia is always one of my go-to examples. Like, I think that right now you have a ton of people, right. Who are invested in this legacy institution, essentially, you know, they have credentials and work experience and basically investments of different kinds in this legacy institution, which everyone in it, talks about regularly being, you know, really broken and crappy in many ways. And right now there's only a small number of people who are defecting from academia to basically do what I'm doing and build successful, financially attractive and growing totally independent intellectual operations. That's still like a very fringe thing. People, when I tell people that's what I'm, that's how I've organized my life now that requires a lot of explanation to even communicate it. But there are definitely more and more people doing it who I pay close attention to. At a certain point, there's going to be enough of us doing it that everyone inside academia is like, oh, I'm just going to do what Justin's doing. It's obviously better. And once two or three do that, just to to uh, follow a already established new model, it's going to be a very short period of time, I think, before all of them do it, because why wouldn't they? So I think that's just, but I think that's just one example, not to make this about academia. I think that's just one mm-hmm. example. I think you're going to see that in many different domains, which is why personally, Everything that's happening to right now says to me that it, there's never been a better time, and this is not financial advice, but there's never been a better time to pretty much like put all of your eggs in the basket of outsider hypotheses and shift your resources away from these legacy institutions, which seem to be hysterical and desperate. Yeah, there's never been a better time to YOLO. <laughs> but not even YOLO because I think you could, I mean, that's an well, interesting aren't, aren't, comment. Aren't you YOLO'd on your, so what, your business? For people who don't even know what you're, so YOLO is a, is a kind of Wall Street bets term for like 
putting all of your putting eggs all, in all, it. all yeah. your eggs in one. Bag. Well, here's what's interesting. I don't think you need to to do this in a way that's yellow. Like what I was just describing, I think you can actually have a diversified portfolio of outsider bets. Honestly, it probably just a couple though. Um, but but I like what you're you're talking about as far as like the short squeeze as metaphor. Um, like I think a short squeeze is when um, the people um, in the bad position are, are motivated to act against their own interests. Uh, like they sort of have to act against their own interests to prevent even worse damage That's from right. happening, right? And that causes their, their demise to accelerate. And I think what you saw with legacy media and social media uh, was was a short squeeze on the legacy media. Like everyone had to join Twitter. Like Twitter, Twitter, right. Twitter was disrupting media and people were going to Twitter to get their news because it was faster. You could have multiple perspectives. And, and, and then suddenly you see legacy media embrace Twitter, but that increases its, its audience. And, and, um, and, you know, sort of uh, in response to that, legacy media has been trying to get tame Twitter. Um, but the damage in a lot of ways has already been done by legitimizing this multipolar structure uh, where, where people, where you're, um, the people who were in charge of the narrative in the past can be dunked on and picked apart in a very public way. Um, and also Substack, I think, is happening totally. where like if you get if you get canceled now you you're you get a pay raise <laughs> yeah. right if you're in media um so I, maybe academia i don't really see the short squeeze happening yet but it's going to happen when it when it's more painful not to participate in the kind of things that you're doing than to participate in them right right now it's harder to participate than to not participate but in the future like um especially when you look at how poorly paid a lot of people are uh that do the teaching in academia um, like, I think there'll be, there can be an acceleration where, um, you know, there's a clamor to be involved in alt education. No, but that's what I'm saying. It's already here. The word just hasn't gotten out yet fully. Yeah. Well, and, you haven't quite seen the, the, that first, you know, that first bend in the, in the elbow. It's, it's sort of like building the thesis is there. Uh, and then you're, you're waiting for the, well, I think it's, I think it's actually the situation with academia and intellectual life more broadly is kind of like wall street bets in that wall street bets had been going on for quite a while it only now just kind of hit public consciousness in this kind of big way yeah but i mean like lecturers who teach courses in my little school make more than adjunct professors yeah. per course it's not people hard. just don't it's know that yet. it's not hard to do <laughs> people just don't know that yet yeah uh, so it's like once these things become these things become uh they enter the public consciousness at a certain point and then you see these like nonlinear takeoffs and I'm I'm ba I, I'm bracing for that in pretty much all cultural domains that have legacy institutions. Yeah. What do you think from a financial pr perspective? Anything else that is interesting about all of this stuff going on right now that you want to riff on a little bit? Or yeah, well, one thing that's interesting is like, you know, people are like, well, how can one little stock or just a couple of stocks really matter? Um, and uh, w one thing to keep in mind is uh, Mike Green's uh, research. Mike Green is this guy. Uh, his. Um, Handle on Twitter, I believe, is Professor Plum ninety nine, um, or maybe Professor Plum. Uh, but he uh, he talks about how how markets are thinner than they used to be. Mm. Uh, basically, um, every the, the the rise of passive investing, which was the boomer strat, right? Which is you take your your money and you you buy uh, ETFs with it, like mechanically every week, uh, and and you save for retirement that way, and you never sell anything until you're retired, and you never think about what you're buying, you just buy uh, broad-based ETFs, uh, that's become the majority of the market. Um, and so it only takes, uh, I think, one-tenth or even smaller, maybe one-twentieth the, the amount of money to move the market as it used to. 
Uh, basically, everyone's a hodler now. Hmm. Like the stock market's made of hodlers. Uh, so, so that amplifies uh, when you think about, okay, so Wall Street Bets is going to blow up a hedge fund that has $4 billion of assets. Well, that means they have to liquidate probably $2 billion on their long book. That really moves the market. Um, that's what we were seeing yesterday. Um, a couple of stocks that I like, that I follow, they were dropping to the lowest level in more than a month. And you know, I'm like, what's going on with these guys? And it's because uh, these hedges are, are liquidating their long books. Um, so uh, so, so there, it, it takes a lot less to create systemic risk than it used to. And, and that does favor the kind of um, tactical investing that Wall Street Bets is thinking about. Like, you know, the, the idea that we can engineer a gamma squeeze or a short squeeze, like, it takes a lot less money than it used to. Hmm. Um, so, uh, so that's something that's interesting. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Roaring, Roaring Kitty, whatever his next move is, uh, he'll have a, he'll, his touch is gold, man. Like, this, guy, this guy's great. I mean, you should look at his last live stream. He, he uh, it was when GameStop cracked 70. And I think he was at like 11 million. And he's just it's so ha happy, you know. It starts off with him just laughing and and uh, at the camera, and he's wearing his sunglasses now. And his old videos, he was like clean cut and like serious. And his new videos, he's wearing sunglasses and his hair is all long. And he's like, maybe I could get him on the live stream. If any of you uh, are subscribers to Roaring Kitty, maybe leave a comment in one of his videos saying, "Go on Justin Murphy's other life." Stream. Yeah, I would love to know more about the guy. I wonder what his backstory is. Like, I do think he's a pro. Uh, or a former pro, um, just given uh, given how how bright he is about the stock market, but um, yeah, yeah, I would love to know more about him. Uh, so, do you think that do you think that Wall Street Bets subreddit will try to increasingly do these types of engineered plays, where now that they're aware of their own power, or do you think that's going to be maybe snuffed out? Like well, there'll be a there'll be a major legal crackdown, and all that is going to go away quickly. So, I don't think anything that Wall Street Bets has done is illegal. But however, new rules can be made yeah. um, in response to this. And, you know, uh, the establishment is butthurt. Um, also, Reddit's uh, a bunch of uh, uh, C words. Um, uh, the admins uh, trying to think a nice way to say uh, why what's bad about them. Uh, well, they, they're just very um, like they're part of the Silicon Valley ideological cartel. Like they're the hue center left pro establishment and they'll cut down on anything that that offends you know, your average housewife in uh, Menlo Park. Um, and uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if even if it's not outside enforcement action, if just well, if the Reddit admins decide they don't like the, the bad publicity and they cut right. it off. And we think about Reddit as being like this chaotic place, uh, this place of chaotic energy and freedom, but it, it's, a, it's a tightly manicured and controlled place of chaotic energy. Uh, right. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if Wall Street Bets got kicked off Reddit, but then they would just reconvene somewhere else, presumably. I mean, that could be big because, um, yeah, I mean, Wall Street Bets is huge. So, uh, and, I mean, and recently it's been the only Reddit I've been reading. It's only uh, like 2 million people on it, right? Yeah, two or three, I think three now. Um, uh, but uh, the uh, they've been growing at a very fast pace. I mean, if you could invest in that stonk. You'd I mean, do don't, well. you, don't you think that once there is a truly censorship resistant or censorship proof social network like it's going to it's going to win it's just a matter yeah. of when yeah right? i mean they should be on um they should be on urbit um for sure uh but um it could happen i they, mean they haven't the, figured it out yet 
the the like their the dis- friction their discord got shut down their, their right their discord had hundreds of thousands of members uh, see to me this this is an inevitability that everyone should basically brace okay, for and organize their life around because like the the only problem really is that there's still a lot of friction to get on things like urbit but that friction is going to decrease over time and the censorship from big tech is going to at least stay constant and it is just an inevitability i think that eventually a critical mass defects into some censorship proof platform and it becomes literally unstoppable uh, to me to me that's a foregone conclusion it's only a matter of when and so if if you think that's any time even in the next 10 years 20 years that would be truly so significant that you should probably start organizing your life around it yeah well th- the thing is that people mostly uh, will go where the ui is best and like most of the time you don't get censored so people ignore like whether or not their platform is censorship proof, right? Like Discord's fun to use, it's easy to use, it does voice chat, does video chat, does streaming, uh, it breaks up into multiple chat rooms. It has just a lot of nice features to it. So people go on Discord. And for 99% of people, uh, you know, they never have a problem with censorship on Discord. Uh, and then Wall Street Bets, uh, you know, they got kicked off. So it doesn't matter until it does. And the, the problem is that if you're trying to start a censorship re- resistant network, um, you get riffraff. Like it's, it's the people who have problems with censorship that get kicked off that, that are going to be your, your customers. Um, so, so it, it tends to be like a poor quality audience to start your, your new network with currently. Like, yeah. Currently. Like, like if you go on gab, it's like all Nazis, right? Um, I completely get this problem, but that's because currently the defection cascades are not big enough. Yeah. Well, well, so what happens is I think as, as the mainstream gets more and more censorious is that right. they create like a, a more and more attractive anti-mainstream, right? That's like right. Like they have their bubble and they kick people out of the bubble. And the more people they kick out of the bubble, the better the area outside the bubble will be. Which is definitely already happening. It seems like all the cool people worth paying attention to have been canceled or pushed out of something or chose to leave something. And I, again, I see it as like already happening. Like this isn't speculative. The bubble of actually cool people worth listening to on the outside is increasing every day and getting more and more powerful every day. To me, Wall Street bets this whole fiasco is just one of the most recent examples. Trump himself, although I, I'm not a, a Trumpy myself per se, I don't, I'm not like virtue signaling against him either. But um, another profound example of it, right? There's just more and more examples of outsiders who were of outsider figures or organizations or communities who are not supposed to be doing something who all of a sudden are able to do it in some way that all of the legacy institutions said could not happen or would not happen. So to me, it's like, I don't know, to me, it's not even, these aren't even kind of like speculative debates. It's the questions I'm really interested in are a, when, how soon, and what can we do to make that even sooner? Well, I love your optimism, Justin, but I'm not as confident as you that, that the, the end state is the outside winning, um, so you think big big tech could basically get enough of a stranglehold that and, and combined with the government control that everything is snuffed out and, and we live I in mean, a truly totalitarian society in the not too distant future? Well, the, the inside has a lot of power if it's willing to wield it. And we have seen states like like the Soviet Union was an insider state, right? Like the outsider ideologies were forced to use like they're like mimeographs to like pass around pamphlets and and like, you know, they had no public airing of, of their point of view and that, that i mean i think those kinds of states tend to be fragile right. uh and temporary um china's trying to engineer the uh the the most perfect and stable insider state um and but a lot of the the insiders in america would love their own insider state but i, I do think america is probably too chaotic 
uh, and multipolar by nature uh, for that to secede here. Hell but, yeah. Um, but, Hell I, yeah. but I do worry America. about... America. I don't want to live in, in a state where, uh, like, you know, the rough edges and the dissidents are, are snuffed out. Um, but it's possible. I mean, the inside, the inside can be... The, the, like I said, the, the insiders have most of the power. Yeah, um, but you just said yourself before a minute ago that if big tech or the U.S. government were to engage in some sufficiently large and aggressive crackdown, it would lead to the number of people being willing to defect. That number would be so large that it could be enough to break the threshold, right? So there's this kind of, I have this kind of threshold mental model, right? Where it's like, right now, the 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 forces of legacy institutions are not so oppressive that most decent people can kind of deal with the censorship. It's not that it's not that oppressive for most people. Now, if you're like a, a true free speech radical and you just need to say whatever the, whatever you want, then uh, even the current amount of censorship can be oppressive enough that you're willing to just kind of uh, break I mean, all the rules and be be an exiled loner it, or whatever. It, it offends me. But it's a but it's a relatively small number of people right now yeah. who need to go on the radical outside just to feel at peace. But if big tech and or the U.S. government were to become increasingly oppressive, then it just follows that the number of people whose calculation is defecting from all of this is better. That as that number increases, you reach a th- we will reach a threshold where the alternative places like Gab or Parler aren't just um, you know uh, the the riffraff, but actually all of a sudden it's cool smart people who you know and want to hang out with have to go to these outside. Uh, Insti- like counter institutions or whatever you want to call them. That's a threshold thing. That's 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 one of those dynamic processes where it seems like nothing's happening until all of a sudden everything's happening. And it seems like Gab is only neo-Nazis. And then one day the, the, the censorship is going to be enough that whatever the Gab alternative is at that time, everyone goes and it's, un- and it's unpredictable. Just like the Wall Street bets hitting everyone's, you know, radar in a week uh, happened, happened in this kind of nonlinear fashion. So yeah, I think I think like the realistic model has to basically prepare for that and and expect that. Yeah, yeah, I think um I think that's right. And I think the way to do do it is to create like a healthy subculture on 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 a platform that can serve as the seed of of uh, something to grow. Indiethinkers.org shout out. <laughs> so so it's like it's definitely not Gab because like Gab got the the worst people first. Um, but uh, I, I do think. I, I just I think America is is too chaotic and, and loves freedom too much to really give in to a complete insider state. Hell yeah, um, it can't happen. And the, it's not the, possible. Uh, the dream of decentralization is to try to engineer a complete outsider society. You know, something that's like um, has no control. It it is complete chaos. Uh, and um, and I, I I kind of fear what might happen if we do have like money and speech that can't be controlled. Uh, like it, I'm not sure that that's paradise you know i think that has its right. own own issues and um uh i guess i'm kind of i like how things are where we have a lot of freedom um but if something truly awful happened like uh one of these decentralized mobs like you know putting together an atom bomb or something uh you know we have a fair fairly good centralized resources to try to shut them down um but at the same time uh there is like these uh these strong uh uh, 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 mental, uh, problems in our elite people that like they, they're fearing their loss of power and they're reacting and these chaotic and these, uh, like unfair and, and weird ways. And, 
and it, it, it's making me fear uh, a complete ins- the, the attempt to crush the outside. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I might just be drinking too much of my own Kool Aid, but I am just like so convinced. My conviction is is very high that the all of the legacy all of the legacy institutions are essentially their days are numbered, and you can see it in their attitude, you can see it in their eyes, you can see it in in their desperate overreactions to things, in their kind of naked, shameless displays of of arrogance and and desperate control seeking behaviors, like combined with just the increasing number of profound and extraordinary examples where random outsiders are having all of these. Uh, unexpectedly powerful plays. So to me, it's just like, it's, it's an extremely exciting time to be alive. I think if, 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 if you're, if your nature is to be, you know, an outside thinker or creator, but I might just be drinking too much of my own Kool-Aid. Maybe we are on the verge of totalitarian takeover. I I do think Americans love freedom too much for, (laughs) for like the totalitarian homogeneity to really win. But I do think uh, critical race theory is, um, and its and its uh, and its allies is like an attempt to like breed the love of freedom out of out of America. Um, so it, I mean, it's, it's they realize that like the culture of America will not uh, cave to a totalitarian state. So you have to reeducate the people to be the kind of people that will accept totalitarianism. Uh, but like you know, how many with how many people when they start like seeing their kids being taught that their race is evil in elementary school, like uh, are going to lay down and take it. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think in, in the left coast, they'll definitely lay down and take it and, and ask for more. But uh, in a lot of the country, that's not the case. Uh, and, but we'll see, we'll see where that goes in the next uh, 10 years or something. I'm not worried at its current size, but like, that's kind of the next play is, uh, is to, to remove the love of freedom from Americans. Honestly, I'm becoming more bullish on Urbit just because it's such a completely different model that I think you could imagine a scenario where it's like I was describing before. It seems like nothing's happening. Gradual, 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 imperceptible growth and adoption. And then all of a sudden power distributions change and it, you know, it reaches a certain level of accessibility or maybe us censorship reaches a certain level of oppressiveness. And then all of a sudden we have like a whole new internet. <laughs> I, uh, th- that to me, you know, I, I wouldn't put the probability super high or super soon, but in recent weeks and months, I've significantly, I think, increased my, my assigned probability to that sort of thing happening through a fundamentally different networking model. Cause it does, it does seem like all of the internet as we know it and the big platforms, they do seem to be kind of coordinated enough in cahoots enough and p- kind of politically uh, contaminated enough that you could imagine, I think the, the only real alternative being a fundamentally different networking model that would be immune to that sort of thing from the ground up. And that's what Urbit represents. So, I mean, I think it would be pretty cool to have message boards on, or I, I think there are message board, boards that run on Urbit now. Uh, I'm not on Urbit. Uh, I'm, I kind of looked over at your live stream comments for, for a bit. I think someone asked me that. Um, I've just, uh, not had the time to put it together. It is, it does still have a bit of a high barrier to entry. Um, so, uh, I am waiting for someone to help me get on Urbit. All right. Well, I'm sure we got people in the, in the, in the audience in our network who will do that for sure. So reach out. All right. I think we should wrap this up. So if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel and click the bell. I'm doing a bunch more of these in-person live streams from my little home studio I'm building up here. Look at, look, I even painted the walls. Aren't you impressed? 
how much I, work I put into this. I did have one more thing I wanted to rant oh, about. Oh, yeah, please. And by the way, person in the chat saying that Justin should not talk so much. Hey, this is my live stream, first of all. Second of all, I barely talked. This entire time, I was a very modest interviewer, mostly asked questions and let Jacob give, give his very interesting perspective. So fuck off. How about that? Go ahead, Jacob. What was your final comment? That was, that was very Chad, Justin. I, I appreciate that. Uh, well, I wanted to uh, try to get some rants out. Um, yeah, I got time. I've been stuck in my head about uh, psychedelics and Christianity. All right. Maybe we're not done. I got time. I'm having fun. Go for it, Jacob. Do you? Uh, I know you have something. You have, you have like a dinner or something to go in to. In a later, little bit, right? but yeah. not too soon. It's all good. All right. So um, I, I do think uh, uh, that uh, a lot of people aren't prepared for this yet. Uh, and I'm not saying, um, and I think a lot of people aren't ready to talk about it in an intelligent way. Mm. Um, and if you got most people on here to talk about this, they're not going to speak about it in an intelligent way. Which is what? Uh, the fact that I do believe that one of the major pressures and sources of change uh, to the Christian movement or Christianity in general, American Christianity over the next uh, 20 years is going to be uh, the reintroduction of legal psychedelics into society. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, and I don't think anyone's ready for it. Like if you ask Christian pastors what they're most concerned about now, what's putting the most pressure on the church, they would say like the culture war, materialism, consumerism, and nobody's really thinking about psychedelics. Um, and that's sort of by like the nature of who is Christian right now. Remember my theory of bio-Christianity that like all the open-minded people have left the church mostly. Uh, so what remains is more by nature closed-minded people. Um, and so like their response, I think, to the rise of ne neo-psychedelia has been to um, ignore it and hope it goes away. Uh, and it's not going away. Uh, Definitely not. It's, and, and, but I think psychedelics are super pro-Christianity. I think a lot of America is going to get on psychedelics and they're going to become more Christian. Uh, I think that's a possibility. Uh, so I think I think what psychedelics do, um, and I, I could run on that for a while, but I mean, they certainly reattach people to their sense of the spiritual, mm -hmm. um, and they and, uh, and and a desire for like in-person connection and community. Um, and uh, I think that that can be filled by religion. Uh, I think most American Christianity, though, uh, like completely lacks any mystical side. And, mm. and, and that's um, a hallmark, especially of evangelical Protestantism, which is sort of this flat, boring religion that's about a book. Like if your religion is about like a book that's like hard to read, like I don't think that appeals <laughs> to like people that are, um, you know, being inspired by psychedelics. Um, now, at the core, there, there is a Christian mystical tradition, that especially in uh, Protestant uh, in uh, Catholicism and Orthodoxy. Um I think it's worn a little bit more on the sleeve of orthodoxy. Uh, so I would encourage like my bishops to sort of get in front of that and be able to like communicate to people coming from a psychedelic world. Um, but uh, uh, the other, the other, I think branch of Christianity and where most of the energy is going to go, unfortunately, I think this is not the proper place for it to go is going to be into like more sort of charismatic Pentecostalism. Mm. Um, and probably new kinds of Protestantism that, yeah, are, that like, are formed around, uh, like, uh, like it's sort of a bastardized version of like hippie cult, hippie psychedelic Hindu-ish culture, like bastardized into Christianity. I completely agree. It's already happening. I think you're going to see charismatic kind of pseudo Christian preacher types on like Instagram blow up and they're going to be hip and kind of youngish and attractive. And they're going to have their own little uh, churches more and more. And I think this is very satanic and really should be stopped immediately with the full force of all possible social technologies. 
Well, I think like um, I have a lot to say on the topic of psychedelics and like how to use them towards the good and uh, where they go wrong. But um, one one place that I think psychedelic use goes wrong is where people start making like ontological extrapolations from their psychedelic experience. They try to say like the world is this way because I felt this way when I was on mushrooms. Um, and you know, I mean, the the mystical mystical visions have been a basis for uh, theological musings for a long time. But I think what's great about Christianity is that uh, sort of the, the fundamental ontology of Christianity makes sense um, when you're sober uh, and when you're having ecstatic uh, mystical experiences and everywhere in between. Um, so it's it's uh, uh, because and, and I think that's true of, of other like mainstream religions as well. Um, whereas I think psychedelics, they tend to, when people are, are part of a psychedelic culture and that forms the, the bedrock of their spirituality and they don't have any, anything else informing it, uh, I think they tend to, to lean into somewhat nihilistic and somewhat simplistic sort of uh, moralities and worldviews. Um, I think this is a fire topic. I think this should just be its own podcast okay? because we could easily talk about this for another hour and we should soon. So uh, also, before you forget, go and subscribe to Jacob's uh, YouTube channel, which I put a link to in the, in the show notes. So uh, yeah, Jacob, Jacob is my buddy in Austin. He lives nearby. So I think he's probably going to be a regular around these parts. So if you have other topics you want us to talk about, let us know. I think we should wrap it up. Wait, we so should, we, wants... we got, we got to leave them wanting more. We can't, we can't stay okay. on too long, but good. You want to reply to a comment? No, no, that's fine. I'm a, if you I'm, want to, I'm a three hour podcasting guy. Um, Jacob's will, Jacob will be back. Uh, make sure you subscribe and click the bell so you can uh, come next time and we'll try to answer some of the questions people have. All right. Thanks everyone for hanging out as always. Crazy week. Prepare for many crazy more and uh, good luck out there guys. I'll be here. Um, Other life podcast. The only podcast in the world dedicated to, exiting institutions well, so uh you know i, I kind of you know i forgot to talk about um uh i mean we talked we touched a little bit on like the end of the bubble uh you had a final thought you can give a closing thought yeah i mean i think people should know that uh you know obviously this can go on for longer than people think uh i i jumped out on the first day of plus 60 percent prices GameStop. you're talking yeah, about yeah and or other other stocks like that um and i didn't realize that it could go on for another 10 days of that um so i missed out on, on a lot of gains but you know i protected my downside uh but what's going to but at some point it, it probably will come to, to an end i mean i don't think that gamestop stock is going to be the new currency that uh the new monetary standard of the world like i think there's a there's a limit to to how far it can go up and when um when people start selling it's the last one out loses uh there's a book called about financial bubbles uh i've listened to an interview with a I listened to a podcast with the author i didn't read the book uh, as, as people do nowadays. But it, I mean, the title of the book is devil, devil take the hindmost. Uh, and it, and it's a history, history of bubbles. Um, so I just want to urge ca caution, especially if like you're jumping in now, I, I heard someone ask me yesterday about whether or not they should buy game GameStop, And that's always the way it's like when, when people that have no interest in finance start asking me if they should get into something like that's, that's usually a bad sign. Um, that, that, that thing is no longer, uh, no longer such a good, I mean, the risk reward is very different at, with GameStop at 400. I think it did pass 420.69. So it kind of already hit its totemic value. Uh, that might've been the top. Um, if I were a hodler, I probably would have sold at 420.69. Uh, and I imagine many hodlers did. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and at that point, um, it starts to be, uh, 
yeah, the risk reward is very different. Uh, there, there's the risk is a lot higher and the reward is nowhere near as high as it was before. Uh, and, and it can be hard to miss out on a trade, uh, but there will be other good trades to come out. Uh, and I think if Wall Street Bets survives, that some of those trades will be posted to Wall Street Bets. Um, you know, keep on learning and you'll be able to identify them earlier. Uh, and like I learned from this about how to play a, a potential bubble with a big short squeeze. Uh, you know, I got out way too early, um, but um, can't really complain. It's been a great year so far, uh, even though I missed out on, you know, another another 10x gain. But yeah, uh, just be cautious out there, guys. And uh, things are going to get frothy. Um, I think the market might rebound a bit if when the GameStop trade unwinds, actually, uh, because right now, um, so much of the other stocks are being depressed uh, due to the GameStop's rise. Um, but um, it's uh, it's going to be, there, there's going to be a lot of volatility out there. Like today was a high vol day. Yesterday was a high vol day. Um, and, uh, you know, things aren't easy. Thanks, Jacob. Excellent. Excellent parting words. All right, gang. Other Life Podcast. Over now. All right. Peace. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, you should send it to a friend. Just email it to them or post it on your social networks, whatever. And to learn more about what we discussed in this podcast or to send me questions to address in future episodes, please just go to otherlife.co and you'll find everything there. There's actually a ton of cool stuff on there. So check it out if you haven't already. Thanks again, folks. I'll see you here next time.